0: The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 67 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about getting moving again safely and getting comfortable with pushing the edges of where you are in your journey. If you missed it, you can check out episode 63 for getting some moving tips and tricks to get moving again. Sometimes you just have to face your fear and start trying all the things, not committing to them, just trying them. If you're not sure where to start, think about things you loved as a kid, dance class, hiking, voting, whatever it is, I'm sure there's a class for adults that you can sample without a big commitment. Until you get started, you never know how it's going to go. And more importantly, you never know what might make a real difference for your body, your mind, and your spirit. I want to share a quick story about doing this myself a while back and how it came up recently as well. So It's really important to remember that every day is a new opportunity to begin again or do something in a different way. The great thing is we get to choose. So late on a Friday afternoon, I saw a post on Facebook in a local breast cancer group. A local trainer who teaches for our area's health systems cancer support program had put together a kayaking event for people in her exercise classes, not far from where we lived. She had some space open in the program for Saturday morning and offered the spots up to the group. I didn't even think about it. I called my husband and said, want to go kayaking tomorrow? I can sign us up right now. I was already on the sign up page. He said, sure. He and I had kayaked while on vacation, but we had not gone locally and we live really close to the Potomac River, like really, really close. So when I was a kid, my family camped several times a summer. And growing up in New England, we also went to the White Mountains of New Hampshire at least once a year. And whenever we did these things, we always did some kind of lake activities or river activities, canoeing, kayaking, swimming. So I always loved water sports. And I was a Girl Scout and I was fortunate enough to go to sleepaway camp one week every summer. And when Ever I was ranking my choices for the programs I always chose the water sports programs. When I was in high school I went on a water opportunity also with Girl Scouts to Wisconsin where we stayed on the campus of University of Wisconsin-Madison. That's actually where I kayaked for the first time on Lake Mendota. Then we spent three days camping and canoeing about 50 miles along one of the rivers. Needless to say, I was pretty excited to head out and do some kayaking really close to home. And I also felt like it was meant to be. I happened to be looking at Facebook later in the day on a Friday, which I don't normally do. Happened to see the post come up in my feed, which is kind of a crapshoot if you're on Facebook. I responded to the post, and most importantly, I took action. How often has that happened where you see something cool, think, oh, I want to do that, and then you didn't take action? Believe me, I can totally relate. The next morning, my husband and I headed down to the local park to meet the group, and I recognized the organizer's name from her post. We had met years earlier, somewhere at an event or something, many years before I was diagnosed with HER2-positive breast cancer. She was already a breast cancer survivor at the time, with the same flavor cancer that I was diagnosed with. So when we arrived for kayaking, I reintroduced myself and thanked her for putting the activity together. We got a mini lesson from the guide, got set up in our gear with our kayaks, and headed out. As we were paddling, the host and I were having a chat about HER2-positive treatment and challenges and lymphedema. She also shared about some muscle issues from radiation and surgery scarring which I also have a lot of scarring, we chatted about how challenging it is as survivors whose bodies create scar tissue to find the right people who understand both muscle work and lymphedema. Because in the wrong hands, muscle work can really aggravate lymphedema, and it can actually cause us to have flares or have more permanent damage. And we definitely do not want that. So, she also shared that paddling was amazing for her lymphedema. And I was wearing my sleeve and my glove, and I was very surprised to hear this because, in a lot of ways, it goes against the exercise guidance that you might find if you go looking. So, we had a lovely paddle about two miles upriver and two miles back with the current. And when we got home, I could really feel it. But also, my arm was looking fantastic. The results of the paddling was so positive for my lymphedema in both my arm and in my body that I could not wait to get back out on the river. In addition to moving my body in a new recreational way, I also unexpectedly made a friend that day. We met up several times over the next few months to kayak, and I was less and less sore the more we did it. Then COVID happened, and my husband and I missed our window to purchase kayaks for last summer. So we have had kayaks sitting in our garage since mid-January, and we'd been waiting to take them out. So a couple weeks ago, we got our chance. and Oh my goodness, did I feel that paddle. By mid-afternoon, I was already feeling sore from our morning of paddling. My lymphedema felt amazing, though. And I'm really looking forward to getting on a regular paddle schedule, both with my friends and with my husband, to build that upper body paddle strength back and help keep my lymphedema in an easily managed place during the warmer summer months, where it can be a lot more challenging. So I share all this because even if we're moving regularly, sometimes switching it up can be a great benefit. And it can also be a little bit scary to make the leap to try something new, but Like my guest, Wendy Golick from Casting for Recovery said, you got to be in it to win it. And that's pretty much true of every part of this journey. So if you want to learn more about Casting for Recovery, check out episode 44, where I talked with Wendy. And if I can help you brainstorm some ideas to get moving or serve as an accountability buddy, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always happy to help. This week, I want to dive into a little bit different topic and... This is a little bit more along the lines of what Sue and I were talking about last week in episode 66. This is a topic I've been seeing more and more, toxic positivity. So when it comes to medical things, I'm not a big proponent of Googling all the things because we can find a lot of misinformation a lot of scary things. But in this case, I did a little Googling. I'm not entirely sure that I agree with the definition of toxic positivity. But here it goes. Toxic positivity is the belief that no matter how dire or difficult the situation is, people should maintain a positive mindset. It's a good vibes only approach to life. Now, I do think that we can have a positive outlook in the face of adversity. And this is where I think that this particular definition maybe is a little bit off. Because when we dig a little deeper, I found this definition about. When positivity becomes toxic. And I think it embodies the issue just a little bit better. And basically, it said that positivity becomes toxic when you downgrade or dismiss feelings that are not positive, or you feel shame or guilt for experiencing negative emotions, basically hiding from or pretending they don't exist if it feels uncomfortable. So I think that's a little bit better. Definition. Because in the first one, we can't have a good vibes only approach, but we can have a positive approach to challenging situations. Doesn't mean we don't feel the feelings. I think I have been defining toxic positivity as more of a Pollyanna situation where positivity is the only option, where everything is fine and rosy all the time. And I often say it like this the house is on fire. It is burning down. Yet someone says, oh look, the house is on fire and aren't the flames pretty? I tend to the positive. That does not mean that I don't feel the challenging emotions in regard to the situation. We all process a bit differently. For me, people dictating to me what I could and couldn't do pre or post-surgery during chemo or when I was getting moving again was much more impactful than getting the actual diagnosis. And I was a little weird in that way. I remember distinctly the morning I told my husband I could get my dishes out of the cabinet. I was in the week following my bilateral mastectomy, and he was back in work. So he would leave a stack of dishes on the counter and things like the fixings for my coffee, and so that I didn't have to reach up into the cabinet or have to lift anything down. However, slowly starting to lift your arm and get that function back is encouraged from the moment you wake up from surgery. And I was already in really good shape. So I started that work right away and I was slowly building up and I thought it would be fine to lift my arm to get a small plate or a mug off the first shelf. (laughs) My husband said, no, you should not be doing that. And I immediately burst into tears and said I was tired of everyone who was not in my body telling me what it was and was not capable of. And I could reach the lower shelf and get a dish. And I have to tell you that I had been so chill up to this point that my husband was actually relieved that I started freaking out. This was not toxic positivity. This was me having... No idea if I was going to need anything more than surgery to deal with the issue of cancer. It was super early. There was no reason, per my doctors, to believe that this was anything more than a speed bump. And I chose to believe them. I also think, going back to my burning house analogy, it's totally possible to feel the emotions of the destruction of the fire while choosing to not live in the shell of the burned out house not from a place of being falsely positive, but just from a place of hope and solutions-oriented responses. Validation and hope are counterbalances to toxic positivity. With validation and hope, we validate that whatever the emotions are that are coming up, they're valid and they're okay. And in time, they may be replaced by other valid emotions. And that time might be tomorrow, or it might be in 10 minutes, and both are okay, and every situation is going to yield a different result. It's fully possible to have a bad day. Feel the bad day. Wallow in the bad day. Maybe choose to binge watch some Netflix while wallowing in the bad day, and then pick yourself up, dust yourself off from that terrible, no good, very bad day, and make a different choice. And In that scenario, you've given yourself the space to feel what you needed to feel. And in that, choosing to be positive isn't toxic because you felt the feelings. You're ready to flip the script and find the silver lining or do something to lift your spirits. And as a mentor of mine likes to say, give yourself a new experience. This is not toxic positivity. This is definitely feeling your feelings. Science also shows us that staying in the negative can become toxic and even in some cases make us more unwell. And I do think that this comes into play when we start to live in the difficult place, when we're living in the burnt out house, when we set up shop there and we refuse to leave. And no option provided will solve the problem. And sometimes the language that we are using can be an indicator that we're living in this state of potentially toxic negativity. For instance, if you're in a forum with other people who have experienced a similar journey, and remember, all journeys are a little unique and they're all different and we all experience it differently and we all see different pluses and minuses. Possibly in a journey that looks really similar on its face. When we ask for support, I see a lot of folks balance their answers. They say what was challenging, maybe some of their struggle with approaches or treatments, whatever the question was. And then they say how they got to the other side. If your go to response is that you don't believe them or that your situation is so much worse and this has been your go to outlook for a while, it might be time to check in with a neutral professional that can listen and provide guidance to help with the processing of those feelings. Because holding on to them can cause you to make choices that may not help you heal. Simply because you're not sure if it's possible. And that is totally valid. But this is where an independent third party with no skin in the game can really help to uncover the root cause of those feelings and help you find a way to process through those feelings. And that can be so important. And often it's something that we just can't do on our own. And we're just not provided the tools or the referrals from our medical professionals to know that that's even an option. So last week, Subo and I, um, in episode 66, we were talking about post-traumatic growth. And it's really hard to have growth if we're having trouble processing our grief. And by paying attention to the words we use, it can really shine a light on how we feel and where we may need a reframe and where we may need to ask for some help to find our reframe. Last week, Sue and I were talking off air about the idea of being fiercely independent. And I said, oh my gosh, toxic independence should also be a thing. And apparently it is. However, it seems to come up more in terms of codependence or relationship challenges. And I really mean it in the context of not asking for or accepting help when we need it, because we feel as though we need to be able to go it on our own. And this is something that I urge everyone, especially cancer patients and caregivers and people navigating survivorship, we need to flex that muscle of asking for and receiving help. We need to flex that muscle on a regular basis so that when we really need it, we know how to use it. I was super proud of my cousin last week for compiling a list of items they could use support with while her husband is in treatment for leukemia. It took a few months to get their feet under them with the diagnosis, and now outpatient treatment to really understand what they needed. And once they figured that out, they put it out to their people and said, I know people have offered support at the time. I wasn't sure what we needed. Now I have a better idea here's our list. If one of these things speaks to you, thank you in advance. And if you keeping us in your positive thoughts is what you're able to do right now, we are so grateful for that as well. And I was beyond proud of her for making the ask. Because as a cancer survivor herself, she knows that it takes a village. So that is the show this week. I have some great interviews coming up in the next few weeks, so check back for some great conversations with cancer survivors there and a caregiver as well. And there's even one coming up with a new friend from Down Under, and I'm really looking forward to sharing her story and some interesting tidbits about healthcare in Australia. I am on a mission this year to interview new guests every week and bring more connection and share more stories of cancer survivors, caregivers, and support organizations. And you can find a link in the show notes where you listen to the podcast or come connect with me in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. Many of my past guests are there along with other people just like you who may even have the same questions. At the top of the group, there's a pinned post where you can also schedule some time to chat with me. Thanks for listening and have a great week.